We are back. Another season of the First Draft Podcast is officially underway. It is your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about the 2022 NFL Draft. And the two stars of this show are the names that are the stars of ESPN's NFL Draft coverage. The godfather of the NFL Draft, Mel Kuyper Jr., and of course, his longtime running mate, the great Todd McShay. Mel, I'll start with you. How are you, my friend? Another season is underway. Yeah, I'll tell you, the end of the uh, college football season, NFL playoffs, super wild card weekend begins with some great matchups in the NFL draft. This is going to be all the talk. So we'll kind of cover, wrap up the game last night, which was exciting, a little weird, a little crazy, but uh, certainly memorable. And, uh, and then get to some uh, projections. I usually have mock draft 1.0, which is probably on his third mock by now. But I get mock 1.0 <laughs> next week once the juniors declare. Let's wait until we know who's in the draft before we do a mock. Uh, I think that makes sense. But, you know, McShay doesn't always make sense. So we will go with that. But that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> and Good start to the podcast, Kuiper. Yeah. Good start, man. I, I love it. All, I'm already taking hits and I haven't even said hello yet. So yeah. everyone listening, hello. This is this is Todd McShay responding to Kuiper, my good friend. I'm fired up, man. I know this isn't a great quarterback draft and everyone's kind of down on that, but it's a really strong draft class. We've got a senior bowl coming up in just a couple of weeks. Obviously the combine. And before both of those things, the, the underclassmen declaring date of, of January 17th, where per usual, you know, it's just a, huge influx of, of underclassmen talent to the class and um and away we go it can't, we cannot wait the nfl draft takes place august 28th excuse me april 28th through 30th august would be a long time for us to have to wait and we would have plenty of content but probably too much content at that point i'm field gates my second season here on the first draft podcast and very excited and honored to be back with the guys uh, a one housekeeping notes things are a little bit different this year for us on the First Draft podcast in a couple of different ways. One, starting next week, Monday, which is January 17th, if you want to watch the First Draft podcast live, you can do so on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcast for the audio version. But if you want to watch us live and see the potential for any of us to make a spectacular blunder live on a podcast, you have the chance to do so this year. The video element has been added. Cannot wait for that. And then also this year, we're going to give you twice the podcast. We'll have a second podcast, an audio-only version, which will be on Thursdays. Mel and Todd will start off the show each Thursday. We'll chat for a little bit. And then we'll dive deeper with even more draft content from some of our other voices at ESPN. We recently added the great Jordan Reed to our draft coverage. Cannot wait to hear from some of those voices. But as always, the focus of the show will be Mel and Todd's insights. Todd, I want to start with you. We are just, what? 15 or so hours removed from the conclusion of the 2021 college football season. Georgia is champions for the first time in 41 years. If you had a big takeaway or takeaways from last night's game, what was it from their victory 33-18 over Alabama? There are so many takeaways. I mean, we can get into the X's and O's, I guess, on a, on a different podcast. We did a lot of it before we even started this podcast. Um, but I, I just thought it was, you know, after – a game that featured, you know, in the SEC championship, Alabama really putting it on on Georgia, throwing the football so successfully. Um, Georgia just they they took they took a lot of pride in fixing what the mistakes they made in that game. They showed on defense a lot more resiliency, 
I thought they were in better condition, which is hard to say off of a month with a, another game against Michigan as well. Um, but they just, for four quarters, they, they fought their tails off. They got more pressure on Young. And as Mel and I were talking about before the podcast, it's like both, both sides decided that this, hey, this is a different game than the one we played a few weeks earlier. Um, th- this is going to be a physical defensive game with two defensive coaches and Nick Saban and, and Kirby Smart. And it's going to be a physical game on the offensive side as well. I mean, you, you saw with um, Zeus White coming in for Georgia, he became the primary back instead of James Cook. Um, he's the more physical runner of the two. And, and Brian Robinson, you saw when they came back from Alabama from halftime, they, they really featured on that one drive. Um, Robinson, both as a runner and as a receiver. So uh, I, I thought it was interesting to see how both teams adjusted. And after three quarters of not a lot of fireworks, uh, the last the last quarter of the game was outstanding. It was a great way to finish the, the season. But from a draft perspective, there are a few players that kind of stood out. And it's not surprising that the majority of them are, are on the defensive side. But to me, and I know it was, it was in a losing effort, but how about Christian Harris saving his, mm. his best game of, of at least 2021, maybe of his career, for the final game on the biggest stage? Seven tackles, four tackles for loss, three sacks, he had just two and a half sacks in 14 games leading up to, to the national championship and had three sacks in that one. And he also had a forced fumble. So Christian Harris in, in a great group of, of off-the-ball linebackers this year, and starting with George's N'Kobe Dean, who I think could be a top 10, top 15 pick. Uh, Devin Lloyd from, from Utah is another really good outside or off-the-ball linebacker, I should say, um, who's probably going to be somewhere in that 10 to 25 range in the first round. Uh, Christian Harris is kind of in that second tier, if you will. And I, I think he's, he's probably somewhere in day two. I don't know what Mel thinks, but it was great to see him play his, his peak performance last night. Christopher Smith is another guy's safety. George has got, I think, four defensive backs that could get drafted in this year's class. Smith is a day three prospect. He's got a lot of range, but we saw him just more physical and aggressive, I thought, than in, in most games this season. The Georgia safety was seven tackles, two pass breakups, and an interception in the game. Devontae Wyatt, another Georgia defender, really stood out. You got all those big-name guys. Um, you, you know, I already mentioned Kobe Dean, all the guys on the defensive front that get, uh, get attention. But, but Wyatt has quietly had a huge season. He took off around 40 pounds coming into this year. He's quicker. He's got good speed for his size. And while he didn't have huge production numbers, just four tackles in the game, I don't know about you guys, but watching the game, it seemed like 95 was around the football, disrupting plays the vast majority of the night when Georgia was on the defensive side. I think Wyatt has solidly put himself in the second round, and that's a huge bump from where I thought he was coming into the season. And a couple more guys on the offensive side, George Pickens, a wide receiver from Georgia. He's a tough evaluation because you know what he can be when healthy. He just simply wasn't that guy this year. He only had one catch um, in, in the national championship game, but it was a critical catch when they needed him the most. And it was a 57 yard reception. And if you're an, a wide receiver coach or an offensive coordinator in the NFL and haven't spent a lot of time evaluating these guys, if that's the single play that you are able to watch of, of Pickens this year so far, you get a sense of what he can be getting vertical and then the ability to go out extended arms, make the catch, the body control to, to pull it underneath and, and, and to pull in that, in that 
deep reception in a critical juncture of the game. I, that was an impressive play. And then James Cook is another player where we kind of saw what he can be in the NFL. He's not going to be your every down back because he doesn't have the great size and contact balance, but he's a shifty runner. I think he's going to be a really good change of pace back, scat back type, who you can put at the slot receiver position. He can run routes and get open. He caught the ball extremely well, had over 100 receiving yards in the semifinal game in the Orange Bowl against Michigan, and he only had eight offensive touches, but had a 67-yard run that was huge for Georgia at the time and also finished with 92 yards of total offense. So you only get eight touches. You finish with 92 yards. You're going to take that day for, uh, for James Cook. And I, I think he, you know, after the top three backs in this class, um, I, I think Cook is right in there probably is the fourth or fifth, fifth best back. He's had a great season, and I, I think he's one of the more underrated players in the class. And then finally, Kuiper, I know I'm taking up a lot of time, but I just, I'm fired up coming off that game. We got a player to keep an eye on. Uh, probably what is it? So this is, we, I think, two years from now, we're going to be talking a lot about Alabama edge defender Dallas Turner. I mean, he is the mm. next dude up. He, there were times I wasn't sure if I was – you know, watching Will Anderson or watching watching Dallas Turner coming off the edge, just the, the explosiveness, the length that he has. He's going to keep getting bigger and stronger in that frame, Kuiper. And he, you know, he's going to be one of those edge guys that we're talking about as a potential top 10 pick, I'm guessing, in a couple of years. Yeah, just to piggyback off of that side, uh, you know, Drew Sanders with the injury, Christopher Allen injured first game against Miami. Great player, didn't have him all year. And then the true freshman did step up. He had a key sack, and which I'll get to right before – the offside by Tim Smith, the free play, then the touchdown where the Juco kid Jackson was beaten again for Alabama. So there's a lot of things that happened in this game where players were in there because of injuries that needed to play great and didn't. And I, was, I, was, I can start out with when you look at Jaleel Billingsley, first drive of the game, I mean, you don't attack the ball. I mean, there was a chance, a play to be made at the four-yard line. William Poole broke it up, but go attack the ball. Yeah, come out of your, your break quicker, attack the ball with your hands, get that catch radius going, and Bryce Young escaped pressure from Trayvon Walker, rolled right through the ball to Billingsley, put it there. It was a drop. Now you can say pull broke it up, but attack the ball. Then on a third and five at the 19, Billingsley slips coming out of his break. He catches that ball. He had beaten Lewis Seen. He might score. You saw Bill O'Brien said, I had the perfectly designed play to clear it out for Billingsley. That's a touchdown. That's seven to nothing. Instead, it's three to nothing. Then right. Jamison Williams gets hurt with 12.28 left in the second quarter on a ball that was not perfectly thrown by Bryce Young. He had to adjust a little behind him, came down awkwardly, knee injury. That ends up 6-3 to three instead of maybe a touchdown if Williams stays in the game. Then Cameron Latou, he breaks open, right? He looks like he's going to score. Well, Ringo tracks him down, gets him from behind. Okay, then you say, okay, you're going to have a chance to get a touchdown. No, you don't get it. You go up nine to three. Could have been 13 to three if Ringo doesn't catch Latou from behind. And we'll get to Ringo because he was one of the stars of the game. You get that Ringo star of the game? Remember the Beatles? But I'll get that. got it, Kuiper. But then Alabama, and we talked about this before the podcast began, Nick's a defensive guy. You got a quarterback, Stetson Bennett, kind of struggling. You got him pinned, minute 33 left. You got three timeouts left after the punt down to the Georgia 10-yard line. They opted, Alabama did, to just let Georgia run the clock. Got Nick called timeout with 22 seconds left, and he had to get the first down anyway. But if you're aggressive there, do you get the ball back? I get it. You want to go in with the lead. But, hey, that was a conservative way to go there. Then 
we get into the third quarter and Hall, the true freshman who had talked during the year about it, I got to get playing time. I got to get the ball. You had a chance to make a play, get a touchdown. It was dropped. And then you had the block field goal by Jalen Carter. So a game that could have been, what, 16 to 6, you get nothing. You get nothing. So it remains 9 to 6. And Georgia went right down after the block field goal, took the 13 to 9 lead. So another missed opportunity there. The freshman drops the ball with the Georgia 6-7 yard line. Then you talk about Hall came through, beat Christopher Smith, as you had, who you had mentioned. They get a first and goal. Ringo has a breakup. Brian Robinson Jr., a couple yards on a run. Then Holden's wide open, beat Christopher Smith. Bad throw. Quay Walker, with the pressure, forced the inaccurate throw. So there you go, right there. 13-12 to 12 after the field goal instead of 16-13 Alabama. So give Quay Walker credit, but Bryce Young's got to open Holden. He misses him. Then the situation we talked about. Stetson Bennett fumbles the ball, recovered by Branch. That was a great play by Christian Harris to force that turnover. Alabama goes up to make it 18-13. Then this is the critical moment. This is the moment where you're the hero or you're the goat. When I talk goat here, I'm talking old goat, which was you're the reason we lost, not the greatest of all time for Stetson Bennett. He became the hero, could have been the goat. It's like the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. It was a thrill of victory. But Stetson Bennett give Todd Monken credit. Todd Monken said, okay, this secondary, I got a quarterback, maybe confidence, maybe he's down a little bit. We're going to go attack. And they attacked, attacked, attacked through the air with Burton against that secondary, which was with torched all year, didn't have Josh Joe out with the turf, though. And it was pass, 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 touchdown. And that's when Stetson Bennett became the hero instead of the GOAT. And that, to me, was the pivotal moment of the football game. You know what, you know what Field, of all the things that Mel just said in, in the 10-minute rant he just went on, Two things jump out. First of all, Kuiper, turn off your ringer. We get it. You're oh, talking you. calling. Turn <laughs> off your freaking ringer. That's all day, every day here. Yeah. It really second is. Thing, the second thing, Field, that stood out with Kuiper, I can't tell if I'm laughing with him or Adam with some of his nicknames. It's almost like they're so bad that they're charming. Like mm. flicking Flacco, zipping Zappy, Ringo Starr. <laughs> I'm always laughing for some reason, but I don't know if it's with him. Or Adam. <laughs> I don't care. His dad way. jokes aren't alive and well here right now on the first draft <laughs> podcast. Really impressive there. That was you great guys stuff. Are too young to remember the Beatles, at least. Uh, yeah, okay. That's oh, they have you. their own serious XM radio channel. I mean, they're iconic, but I do every once in a while just just dabble in the uh, the Beatles serious channel. If I ever need a, a reminder of how great they were, and seriously, uh, probably the greatest musical act our band of all time. Uh, so there was a ton covered there, and the great part about the game last night was that like. We could probably have a draft comprised only of Georgia and Alabama players, at least the first round, and it would like pretty be pretty well stocked. Uh, there are so many players last night that either are going to be first-round picks this year or will be in future years, but I think we'd be remiss to not dive into one of the keys to the game that took place early in the game, and that's Jamison's injury. So we saw in the middle of the game, excuse me, middle of the first quarter, I I think it was maybe middle of the second quarter, early in the game, early second one quarter. way or another. Early second quarter, Jamison Williams, the electric game-changing Alabama wide receiver, leaves the game on a non-contact injury. It was his left knee. He was running a vertical route down the field, and you saw it. I mean, he just it just buckled. He went down in a heap of pain. He immediately was carried off at the sideline. He eventually made his way back to the locker room, walked off under his own power, after the game, during the head coaching, 
uh, handshake slash embrace, because of course Kirby and Nick, Nick Saban are, are close. Uh, Kirby, you could see him ask, how's Jamison doing? And Saban appeared to mouth uh, or say, because you can kind of hear the audio, they think he might have an ACL. So it sounds like, and this is a Tuesday, January 11th at 2.25 p.m. Eastern time conversation. It sounds like there's a possibility that Jamison Williams is going to be dealing with an ACL injury. So Mel, if he had not gotten hurt last night, I believe he would have entered the pre-draft process as your number one wide receiver in a top 10 pick if it is an ACL injury. How does that impact the draft stock of Jamison Williams? Yeah, 12-28 left in the second quarter when that injury occurred, and uh, this is a great player. This is a kid who was left Ohio State to come to Alabama. To me, he was a true MVP because uh, we know Bryce Young won the Heisman, well-deserved, right? But where would Alabama and Bryce Young have been without Jamison Williams? You know, John Metchie, the third heck of a player, but they needed that vertical stretch ability that, that take the top off the defense, and he did every game this year and uh you know Jamison's a, a great he's a warrior he's a warrior he actually wanted to come back in that game <laughs> yeah even yeah, when he, he asked Saban if he could and the medical staff said no yeah I mean this guy is a, tr- a guy you want on your team uh Adam is the sixth best player on the last big board tie you can tell us after I finish my little rant here about where it is but it's not gonna be a rant it's just gonna be a, you know sixth overall player on the board ACL on January 10th. Now they come back quicker from this, but you're probably thinking what mid-season or early to mid-season. Uh, you know, he's still a great player. I'd rather have him than a lot of the other guys at that position coming in. Uh, his rating for me is still going to be really high. Uh, and I, I will say this, when you watch that game, if Jamison finishes that game, that's a sad part of football. Unfortunately, injuries are a big part of it. But if he finishes that game, you can make a strong case. It's going to be tough for Georgia to win it. And certainly if, if Mechie would have been there, I remember when Nick Saban was a two last year when he was talking about Florida with Kyle Trask. He said, "Hey, you got that number one and that number eighty-four. We can't cover them. Number one, that was Canarius Tony and Kyle Pitts, right? What if you took those both of them off of Florida's offense? That's what you did to Alabama last night with twelve twenty-eight mm. left in the second. You took Mechie number eight and Williams, uh, Jamison Williams number one off that team. That's like Tony and Pitts leaving Florida. Where would they be? That's what Alabama was reduced to after that injury." Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting and, and also frustrating, obviously, for, for Williams, not, not just the game, but looking forward to his, his draft stock. I, I was with you, Kuiper. I, you know, I hadn't looked at your rankings, but I had him at six as well. When you just said that, I, I, I knew that's the exact spot, and I just double-checked and had him as the number one receiver. The, the, the problem is if you're Jamison, and again, we don't know at this point the extent of the injury, what, you know, what's going to have to happen from a, a surgery standpoint, rehab, recovery, all those things. So there's a lot still to find out. But if it does affect, and this is the thing that I think people forget, even if he winds up being the first receiver off the board, but a team picking it like six or seven decides to pass on him and he drops to nine or 10, even falling from six to 10, it's, it's about a million dollars each slot you are when you're in the first round in terms right. of what that money means and guaranteed money over the course of your rookie contract. So, you know, even falling four or five, six spots could cost you four or five, six million dollars in a, in a rookie contract. So we'll figure out more as, as more medical information comes in. And, and you look at it with Drake London from USC, the two Ohio state receivers, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, who both opted out of their, uh, out of their bowl game, London, obviously coming off the injury that he had mid season in October uh, Jahan Dotson from Penn State is another potential first rounder. Traylon Burks uh, from from Arkansas as well. So those are six guys right there. 
or five other guys are competing with Jamison Williams for slots in the first round. Again, it's going to come down to medical, but prior to the injury, both Mel and I had him at six overall in the class. And we're talking about him, you know, as a top 10 pick and as the first receiver off the board. It's not a perfect comparison because it's a different injury. It's a different time at the injury. It's a different year. But it is worth noting that last year, Jalen Waddle, coming off of a major ankle injury, was picked sixth overall, was just the second wide receiver taken behind only Jamar Chase, who went one slot ahead of him. Again, there are a lot of differences in those two circumstances. But just a reminder for Jamison Williams that, like, with the, with the way that modern medicine is right now, there's mm -hmm. a, a world in which he's back on the field if he does have a torn ACL by early in his rookie season. And draft investments are not about what you can do for the team in week one of your rookie year, but what you can do over the course of the – 10 years ahead, especially if you're a guy that might be going in the first 8, 10, or 12 picks. So certainly wishing the best. And hopefully Jamison Williams gets better news than we are currently discussing. Before we talk about the top five players in Todd's up, excuse me, Mel's upcoming mock draft, because we do now have the 18 picks of the non-playoff teams. The order has been set, 1 through 18. I just want to ask you guys quickly, and maybe quickly is a little bit of an interesting word to choose because it's a long conversation. But Mel, I'll start with you. There's been a lot of discussion about opt-outs and how those have impacted bowl games and the sport of college football in general. Do you have any thoughts just about how opt-outs have taken on new life and how players have had to make a much different decision now than they were not just a couple of years ago, but certainly 10, 15, and 20 years ago as well? Yeah, Jalen Smith injury. I think, uh, remember the Taylor Decker after the play pushed uh, Jalen Smith and he landed sure. awkwardly again, just like Jamison Williams landed awkwardly and and uh, in the injury. So you're thinking yeah, about Yeah, I was that. there. And and I was there for the Jake Butt injury, back-to-back yeah. -back years. Brutal to watch. Yeah, Jake Butt, a heck of an analyst. He comes on with Dorian Mello and uh, the Dorian Mello show Saturday. He's a great analyst. Jake does a great job of breaking down college and pro football, but that is an injury that pushed him down. So it's, it's a, I call it a business decision. That's what it is. These games, if they're not meaningful, and let's face it, the only games that are truly memorable, meaningful, uh, that are long-lasting and, and determine whether you win a national title or the Final Four. Now, if you expand it, and they're reluctant to do it for whatever reason. You expand those playoffs to 12 teams. You keep everybody playing. I doubt very seriously if a prospect is going to opt out of a game in a playoff environment. And these decisions that these kids make to opt out of these bowl games makes perfect sense. It has nothing to do with their love of the game, in my opinion. They love the game, but they're doing what most people would advise them to do. I think 99% of people would advise them not to play. And you saw last night, Jamison Williams in a meaningful national championship game injured. Yeah, you know, now we don't know what his status is for, for this coming season. So again, I have I, I hold nothing, I hold nothing held, held nothing against the opt-outs for the COVID year. I hold nothing against opt-outs in bowl games. It's a, I think, a great business decision. Yeah, we we had this discussion the other day on college football live just discussing expansion. And I know, it, you know, the, the talks just occurred with college football in the meetings and, and, um, and it, it didn't get pushed through, but just the, just the number of players that would have played in bowl games had it been expanded to 12 teams in a 12 team playoff. I had eight players, Kuiper, in mm -hmm. my, in my top 100. So we're talking about the first three rounds of guys that opted out from teams that were ranked five through 12 that theoretically would have been the teams in if, if we had a 12-team 12, uh, 12 uh, 12 
playoff at the end of the season. And you would assume all of them except Kyle Hamilton, who has the number uh, have is the number five overall prospect of safety out of Notre Dame. All of them probably would have played. Kyle Hamilton was the first one on that list. But then there's Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, the receivers, Ohio State. Kenny Pickett, quarterback from Pitt. Um, uh, what is it? Nicholas uh, Pettit for, uh, Freer from, from Ohio State, the offensive tackle. Kenneth Walker, the running back from Michigan State, who had a phenomenal year. Haskell Garrett, another Ohio State player who opted out. And Kyron Williams, the versatile running back from Notre Dame as well. So all eight guys in my top 100 that opted out, seven of those eight, assuming Hamilton because of the injury would not have played, but seven out of those eight we would have seen play. So, I, again, I'm with you. I understand the decision. And, and all the other bowls, right or wrong, and unfortunately, in my opinion, have been watered down because it's not one of the semifinal games. Uh, but, but ultimately, these guys, every time we have a Jalen Smith or a Jamison Williams or a Jake Butt type of situation, or even a Matt Corral, and it looks like Matt's going to be fine, but it was a reminder to NFL scouts that, well, he's an undersized, slight frame quarterback who has had trouble staying durable and that's a concern in the NFL and comes out in the bowl game you love the fact that he's playing you love his competitiveness love the fact that he led Ole Miss to the first uh, 10 win regular season in school history and everything else he did but it was another reminder to NFL teams like can this guy stay on the field and be available to us as a starting quarterback if we're going to invest a first round pick in him yeah, last time I checked, nobody, nobody from Michigan, Cincinnati, Georgia, Alabama in the final four in the, in the semifinals opted out. So there were no. some guys injured, but nobody's opting out of playoff games. So uh, I'm with you, Todd. I think in terms of if a guy gets hurt, what are they going to say when he gets hurt? Why did he play? Uh, why did he risk all that playing in a, in a meaningless consolation prize game? So and the coach is going to have to take or say, OK, what are you advising players? Obviously, if you're a coach, you want guys to play, but you also have to realize this is their future and it's a lot of money at stake here so again if it is and i don't get now somebody's got to explain to me why any conference in college football the power fives uh, is going to not be in favor of a 12-team playoff I, I don't get it i don't know who's fighting against it but it makes absolutely no sense to me i'm with you on that i think we all as fans would love a 12-team playoff and i'll just mention this quickly i think one thing that got lost in the discourse surrounding the opt-out conversation is that the idea that somebody can, A, understand wholeheartedly a player's decision to opt out of the draft, and B, also love to see all the best players available for a college team, those are not mutually exclusive. It's the college football fan side of you competing with the human side and the understanding the bigger picture side. But uh, these players obviously have the right, and many of them took advantage of their right to opt out of these bowl games and avoid a potential disaster that could impact their earning potential or their entire NFL career, I think it's safe to say that while Jalen Smith made out okay with a big contract with the Cowboys, you know his his career now is is one he's he's become quickly a journeyman in this league as he was with three teams this past season. Who knows how much of that is tied to the potential loss of athletic ability that took place on that hit against Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl about five years ago? Uh, we're going to come back and talk about Mel's top. Or excuse me, yeah, Mel's top five. I don't know why I keep thinking it's Todd's draft or Mel's draft. They're both going to be deep into many mock drafts coming up soon. But first, a couple of libraries for some people that help make this show possible. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know it's easy. Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. 
Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you can save. It's Geico Easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. First Draft is also brought to you by CSX, a growing Fortune 500 logistics company that has immediate openings for freight train conductors. If you're looking for a rewarding career offering, offering paid training at nearly $25 per hour, competitive benefits, and you share a passion for great service, apply today at csx.com careers. That's csx.com careers. CSX is committed to supporting military and veteran families and their communities. CSX is also an equal opportunity employer. All right, so now we're back to the mock draft and we're going to let you two go back and forth for the first five picks. Mel, your first mock draft of the season comes out next Wednesday, January 19th. Todd obviously uh, got them all rolling for those mock drafts a little bit earlier. Now we have a finalized mock draft, excuse me, a finalized draft order for the first 18 teams, those that did not make the playoffs. We know that for the second consecutive season, Mel, the Jacksonville Jaguars will kick off the clock. And while some teams are looking for a quarterback near the top of the board, Jacksonville is all set in that department. So where do you think Jacksonville should or will turn with the number one overall pick? Well, it's really interesting because the two best players in this draft, if they were eligible for the draft, would be Bryce Young, quarterback Alabama, and Will Anderson Jr., pass rusher from Alabama. They're going back to Alabama with Nick Saban for the 2022 season. Then you look at Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau, we've all talked about who's the better player. That's a debate which defensive end you're going to put one or two. They're both going to go really high. And Evan Neal, the left tackle from Alabama, is going to be way up there. If you're Jacksonville, preferably you would have said, okay, is there a quarterback that somebody's going to trade up to get? If Bryce Young were in this draft, you've got Trevor Lawrence, you don't need Bryce Young, but somebody else would want Bryce Young to go up and get him. Well, Bryce Young's not going to be in this draft. So that's not what you're going to do for a Kenny Pickett, say, at Pitt. Are you going to go up to get Hutchinson or Thibodeau? No. So you're thinking, okay, Evan Neal makes a lot of sense if you're Jacksonville, okay? Cam Robbins is a free agent. you got to protect your, your franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, right? Well, Evan Neal at number one over Hutchinson and Thibodeau, you're not taking the best player. You're taking a guy probably right there, but close enough that you do it. It's happened before. Number one pick being an offensive tackle. It's happened several times. But in this case, you get the guy opposite Josh Allen to give you that pass rush. So you'd have two guys, whether it be Hutchinson or Thibodeau. So that's the debate. Do you take the pass rusher, put up him opposite Josh Allen, or do you take Evan Neal, the left tackle from Alabama, who's also played right tackle and guard, and help out your, your franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. I haven't made a call yet on that. I'm not going to project any trades. I'll probably go to the defensive end Hutchinson there. But Evan Neal's got to be in the at least in the thought process. And as I said, if Bryce Young win this draft, it would be a no-brainer. You trade off a one, you let somebody go up and get Bryce Young, and then you probably look at Evan Neal uh, a little bit down the line. Bryce Young, so talented even in defeat last night, still had some bright moments. He is available and is eligible to be in the 2023 NFL draft. It was fun just watching two mountain of a man, not that they were blocking each other, not that he was blocking him much last night, but Evan Neal opposite Jordan Davis, it was like two men amongst boys. They are both so significantly large, uh, especially relative to some of the best college football players in the country. So Todd kicks us off, Mel kicks us off that way. Todd, you're on the clock now with the Lions who – have the number two overall pick, played good football down the stretch this year, competitive in a lot of games, and show that there are some good young pieces on this roster. What direction are you going to go with that number two pick? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to call the Jaguars and ask, or maybe the league office and ask, did Jacksonville actually make a pick? 
I, I don't maybe I missed that because it was maybe Hutchinson, Back and Thibodeau. Forth, yeah. They want to trade out hey, Bryce last time Young. Today, it's, it's Evan not Neal. Yet, but that's okay. I'm confused. What card did you turn in, Kuiper? I ended up turning in the Aiden Hutchinson card. All right, so Aiden Hutchinson's off the board. Good to know. I'm the, I'm picking for the Lions. Hey, not unless you offer me a trade opportunity, McVay. <laughs> I love you, Kipe. It doesn't take long to get back in the form with you, bud. Uh, all right, so I'm the I'm the Lions. I've got a quarterback need. There's no quarterback to take there at number two. We pick again late in the first round with our our you know our traded pick, our second of, of two first round picks this year. Maybe you get the quarterback there, but sitting here. You know, offensive tackle isn't a need like it is for, for Jacksonville or even for the Jets. I, I think you go with the second best edge rusher, or maybe it's the first best edge rusher on your board, depending on the team picking. And that's Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. They need an edge rusher. At, that's probably their biggest need after quarterback. I'd say receiver, cornerback, linebacker, or three other areas of need. Let, I mean, let's face it, they, they have a, several positions to upgrade on that Detroit uh, roster, but. I think edge is up there near near the top, and and if you got if you're splitting hairs between Hutchinson and Thibodeau, and Hutchinson's a more complete player now, Thibodeau has more athletic upside. Um, you're excited to get one and one or one A at that number two pick, and I think Thibodeau would be the pick here if Hutchinson's off the board number one. Yeah, it'd be quite the interesting uh, addition to that Detroit pass rush uh, that last year it sort of lacks. I mean, obviously, it lacks a dynamic, dynamic player of the ilk of Kayvon Thibodeau, but they drafted a couple of defensive linemen, Levi Onzerike and Lee McNeil in rounds two and three last year. That defensive yep. front could shape up pretty quickly. I think the Texans are interesting at three mail because you can make the case that they could go any direction and it would make sense. Like if the Lions had the first overall pick, somebody like Evan Neal will be off the board, right? They had drafted Panay Sewell last year. They already have Taylor Decker with Houston anything goes right now, which direction would you take them? You know, this is, a, as you say, interesting. You think about Reed, the safety is going to be a free agent. You need a corner yep. as well. So you got Derek Stingley Jr. and you got Kyle Hamilton in the mix. But I think the offensive line and Davis Mills has shown enough. What's their quarterback situation going to be? Laramie Tunsil to trade. You have Titus Howard, but you have Evan Neal, who's got that incredible versatility, left tackle, right tackle, guard. You can do so many things with Evan Neal to help that offensive line. If I'm Houston, that's the direction I would go, even though, like I say, the defensive back, which is a big need area, both safety and corner, uh, Hamilton and Stingley tempting. You only take, as Todd says, make a pick. You got to make a pick. Uh, I would say Evan Neal. He is such a physically gifted left tackle. I mean, just unbemovable. We talked about that offensive line for Alabama last night. Not at its best, but Evan Neal almost always brings it. And, Todd, that brings us – to the fourth pick and talk about a team in a very favorable spot. The Jets have two top 10 picks. The second one is 10th overall. That's the second pick acquired in the Seahawks trade for Jamal Adams. Number four for the Jets. Which direction would you go? Yeah, obviously not not the season that they wanted from from their first round quarterback, number two overall in Wilson. But But you saw some signs of life. And I think the team as a whole got better as the season progressed. You can see the, the drafting and, and some of the, the you know, second-level free agent moves that Joe Douglas, the general manager, made in the offseason. You can see some of the positives with this organization. Obviously, still a long way to go, but it, it, it's a big help. If, if you can get your quarterback right, and if you hit on these two picks, now all of a sudden you have a, you have a lot to work with moving forward. 
I think you look at some of their needs. I think cornerback is, is up there, and you could argue in the top three of their needs. Edge rusher would be, but we're talking about, you know, Thibodeau and, and Hutchinson in reverse order coming off the board in this mock draft. So it really it comes down to corner, offensive tackle, receiver, tight end. Those are some other positions that they need help in linebacker. I mean, all those positions you could you can make an argument for in the first round. I think here, Derek Stingley Jr., the corner from LSU, makes a lot of sense. Now, you got to go back and figure out the durability issues. Why wasn't the production as good? He had six interceptions as a freshman in 2019. He's got the oily hips. He's got the top end speed. He has the length that you needed at the cornerback position. You know, schematically, is that what you're looking for? Zone versus pure man-to-man. I mean, there's a lot to work through here. But if you're just going off of value and position need, I think Stingley makes the most sense. Kyle Hamilton is such a good player. You can make an argument for him there. I, you know, I would have even said maybe if Jamison Williams, I don't care what, what, you know, they don't have great playmakers. They've got some good guys. They've got some good young play playmakers, but they could use another big time weapon as well. But what's, what's Jamison Williams status. So there's a lot to sift through, but right now, if I had to make this pick, I would go with Stingley at cornerback from LSU. The guy who missed much of this year, obviously at one time, remember that national championship winning team, we were already talking about the possibility of Derek Stingley being the best player or one of them on that defense. He was a true freshman at the time. We keep the New York theme going at pick five, Mel, and that's the New York Giants who also own another top 10 first round pick. That comes via the Bears and also a team that at the time of this conversation does not have a general manager yet. And it seems like the fate of their head coach is yet undecided. Those could influence some things. But if you were evaluated the Giants based off their needs right now, which direction would you go? Yeah, just to go, to go back to the Jets. Uh, yeah, I don't know, Todd, do they like Eccles and Hall and Michael Carter III enough to say, okay, we can go away from corner? Uh, I don't know. I think you know, Kyle Hamilton certainly is a neat area for them. Uh, maybe Hamilton over the corner if you do like those three corners. So if Hamilton did you know, drop into four or Stingley, uh, then you have the Giants at five. The Giants have to look at offensive line. I mean, this is the the, the reason Dave Gettleman's now retired, resigned, resigned whatever, you moved on, uh, is because of the offensive line. Uh, you know, the offensive line was a huge issue, has a huge problematic area. Uh, they Obviously, you think about pass rush. Uh, Ojalari showed promise. But at this stage, you got to say, okay, we went and got weapons. We got Daniel Jones. We got the running back. You got to protect them, and you got to open up some running room. And that's, again, where you say, okay, Evan Neal, gone then you get to Charles Cross the left tackle from Mississippi State you get to Ikem Ekwanu the left tackle guard from NC State who has a little bit more versatility because uh, he has played at a high level that left tackle spot and that guard spot at, at, at NC State so Ikem Ekwanu uh, would be a guy to think about I think it's got to be an offensive lineman if you want to put Ekwanu in there that's fine uh, but I think there's no question that that's the positional need area that they have to address yeah, I feel like this uh, pre-draft process will have some Daniel Jones conversations that will be a little bit like our Sam Darnold conversations last year, not because the Giants have an opportunity to draft Daniel Jones replacement with that fifth overall pick, but just the idea he's got a critical year ahead. They're going to have to make an interesting decision on that fifth-year option at some point. And yet the natural skills for Daniel Jones sometimes show up, but the consistency needs to show up more. If they can get better out of Daniel Jones, this franchise could be back in a better spot in a hurry. Uh, last do, you thing do, do you draft a quarterback with that second first round pick? Kuiper? No, no. 
you're still you're still buying Daniel Jones. Is that well, why? No, I'm not. Uh, it's not. Uh, yeah, I think you have to buy Daniel Jones considering he had not any support. Uh, you know, I think the offensive line. Well, is he also can't stay ball. healthy, and he turns the ball over at an allergic rate. Well, but yeah. well, <laughs> well the, now the fumbles he eliminated, but you're talking about the the uh, the offensive line still being a problematic issue, where a lot of quarterbacks, even the top echelon guys, would have struggled behind that line and, and keeping guys at the receiver position that look good on paper. But keeping him healthy and have him catch the football, Todd, would also help out Daniel Jones, who I know you're going to be hating until he's in the Pro Bowl and winning Super Bowls. But uh, if that ever happens, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find out down the road. Don't no, hold I, your I, breath, no, man. No, 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 seriously, seriously. Yeah, I know. Two, with having two first-round picks, you say, okay, the Jets have two, the Giants have two early. Well, the Giants, they get the offensive lineman. Then you say, is Kenny Pickett, the quarterback from Pitt, worthy of being a pick in the top ten? I think that's a little rich for me. I, you know, you have Daniel Jones, you Kenny Pickett. Is is a is this you know going to be a big improvement? That's what they have to make a decision on. I would say no to that. Uh, you know, and I think you got to get help. We look at, at at Sam Darnold in Carolina. Did he get any help? That offensive line in Carolina. The last time I checked, they had a big problem there. Okay, huge problem there. So we we all have to talk about quarterbacks. Like they're the the only thing that matters on a football team. That they better play at a high level. Because if they don't, we're not going to care about the lousy offensive line or the receivers that were dropping balls or no running game or whatever it is. It's all about the quarterback. And if you don't get any help, I don't know who can be do, do well in this league. So to answer the question, I think you move forward with Daniel Jones. I don't think it's like a Zach Wilson situation. Let's face it, Todd. No, Kenny Pickett's grade is not anywhere close to what Zach Wilson's was. No, I agree. Yeah, it's not even close. And and, and at seven, my answer would be no, too. And I, I – I strongly believe that the Daniel Jones is not their answer long-term, but I can't say with any confidence that one of these quarterbacks is going to come in and, and be a significant upgrade where you could use that other pick on a, on a position a different position on a player who is clearly a, a higher ranked prospect and a guy who could be a huge difference make, maker for you for the next five years. I love this. I love this, Todd, because you just said you gave, we're only an early in part of this process, but you just told me all we need to know about the quarterbacks. You hate Daniel Jones, yet there's no other quarterback with two first round picks. If you're the Giants that you said you would take. So that tells uh, you where we uh, are. These first of all, I don't hate him. I just don't think he's a good starter that you, that is going to elevate you to a level that you need in order to make a Super Bowl run period. Uh, I, I had a second round grade coming out and he's done nothing to dissuade me from my, evaluation in college to the to the NFL but my point being yes I, I think I've, I have a higher grade on Pickett coming out of college but I can't say all right I'm, I'm faced with this this situation and I'm the Giants GM let's say hypothetically if I use that seventh pick after I got an are offensive you, are you lineman, spot, are you? In, are you? In, say, you Todd, is there some news you want to share? Oh, with no, us? Is, 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 are you giving us one of those subliminal messages here? Gentlemen <laughs> yeah, might be retiring. You said right. All right. So, but my point is, how do I pass on a Nicobe Dean or another edge rusher or you know a, a playmaker when I can, you know, for a quarterback? And I'm not even sure that that guy's going to come in and, and be a huge upgrade at the quarterback position. I just, I've got to take the better player when it's a significantly better grade. You got to go with the better player. That's how you build your roster. And you can't ever go wrong with taking a, gr a really good football player, you know, and with the quarterback, it's 50, 50, even when you have higher grades on these guys, even when you have that number one overall grade on it, it still turns out to be pretty much a 50, 50 crapshoot if it's going to work out. And it's not all the players. Sometimes it's the organization, the protection around them and everything else you're talking about, but it's a huge risk. If you get this opportunity to pick at five and seven 
in a quarterback class that isn't that good. And this applies to several other teams too, not just the Giants. But here with the fifth and seventh pick and having needs in the offensive line, at the edge, ru- edge rusher, linebacker, tight end. I mean, they've got a handful of needs. If you can plug two significant holes in your roster with players that you believe are going to be standouts for the next five-plus years for your organization, I think you've got to do that rather than rolling the dice on a guy that you just – I wouldn't sleep well at night saying Kenny Pickett is definitively going to be significantly better than, than Daniel Jones, especially given what you know some of the offensive challenges that you pointed out. I think it'd be interesting that if we have Joe Douglas, GM of the Jets in New York, mm-hmm. Todd McShay, GM of the Giants in New York, two guys wow. are good friends, both in the in New York as GMs. Wouldn't that be interesting? I'll start that rumor mill going today. But I, I think in terms of David Ojabo, Todd, is a kid out of Michigan who we'll talk a lot about, we'll debate a lot about should he have gone back for another year after having that one great season opposite Aiden Hutchinson, uh, limited football background, but a ton of talent. You know, who's going to roll the dice on that one-year wonder? Uh, everybody wants pass rushers, but Ojabo is going to be scrutinized an awful lot between now and April 28th. Yeah. You have to get Kyle Laletta as a uh, starting quarterback for one of those two teams to get the uh, Richmond vibe <laughs> really going in East Rutherford with the Jets and the Giants. Uh, we'll finish up here. And as of right now, we have six days until the deadline for underclassmen to declare. Is uh, You don't have to have a name, but do either of you have a guy that you have not seen an official announcement on? Todd, I'll start with you that you're keeping an eye on as a swing player, like not a slam dunk, like Aiden Hutchinson declaring for the draft was not a matter of if it was a matter of when, is there anybody you've got your eye on here over the next five or six days? It's interesting because a vast majority of the guys in the top hundred or prospects that you expect have already declared, obviously, yeah. you know, slower coming out the information from Alabama and Georgia at this point, um, George Pickens is one of those that's interesting. I I strongly believe he's going to come out, but he does have the option to go back for another year to Georgia. Coming off a national championship and an injury this past year, I don't think, but would he want to go and and have a really good final season where he's healthy and can prove what he can do? Um, That's an outside shot. The other thing is it seems like, Mel, every year we get surprised by at least one Alabama player that decides Mm. to go back to school. You know, I'm just looking down the list. I mean, Evan Neal, Jamison Williams, John Mechie, Jordan Battle. So many of these guys this year, too, remember, because of the the rules in the COVID year, have the opportunity to come back for another year, even though they're – I don't know what's technically an underclassman, what's technically not anymore. Uh, But Christian Harris is going to leave early. Jaleel Billingsley is another guy, but there's no way, considering how much he's in the doghouse of Nick Saban. Uh, But there's always that one guy – that, that winds up going back. And I wonder, I can never pronounce his name, but uh, To'o To'o, I think it is, the, the linebacker from linebacker, Alabama. Trans- yep. Yeah, transferred from Tennessee. Such a good athlete. He, he, I thought he got better as the season progressed. I think he can still get better and could benefit from another year. But I think if he came out, he'd be a day two pick. So that'll be an interesting name to watch. There are a lot of guys that really like him and what he can become as an off-the-ball linebacker uh, and, and as a potential day two pick. We're either going to, you know, add some depth to that position or or have a guy that's going to come back a year from now and could be potentially talking about him as a first round pick in 2023. Yeah, with that free COVID year, I don't know who is an underclassman anymore. <laughs> right. They got, they, got, they, they got six years that they won. I, you know, five years, six years. I, I just years. wrote up my, my first player ever doing this. I just wrote up five year player and five year starter. 
<laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Kenny Pickett's going to have like 50 starts to be a 24-year-old uh, rookie quarterback in the NFL this year. But I don't really worry about it. I don't spend any time worrying. The numbers are – the list is going to come out in a few days. Uh, there's too many players to evaluate to be worrying about, you know, this guy or that guy. Just wait till the list comes out. We know the majority of these guys that are going to be in the draft. And if they're not, then you're going to get a head start for next year. So I just – you know, you keep evaluating. You wait and see what the list looks like. And I don't spend much time caring about what underclassmen comes out and which ones don't. It would be really interesting to see if there are any swing players at the buzzer, so to speak. January 17th remains the deadline. The good news is I think most of the expected declarations have already taken place. Uh, otherwise, we'll keep our eyes out for those major or potentially major prospects that decide to return to college football. Uh, we'll have The good news is we'll, we'll have it live because our show next week is January 17th, the final day for prospects to make their decision one way or the other, but we are officially now off and running. Again, if you missed it earlier, starting next week, live on YouTube, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Just search First Draft. You can watch all of us in video form. Very much looking forward to what is ahead this entire season. Mel and Todd, I love doing the show with you guys. Nobody is better at their jobs in DSPN. The two of you are at yours. It is your season now, gentlemen. I cannot wait for the next three and a half months. I just hope McShay's with us Monday. I hope we don't get any news, breaking news between now and then. <laughs> a new Giants general manager, Todd. The chefs are going to be tweeting out something though. about McShay. About Unbelievable, Kuiper. We're going to start some rumors about you. You're not too old. <laughs> Go right ahead, pal. <laughs> not too old, Kuiper. <laughs> Looking forward you. to it, gentlemen. Todd and Mel, be well. We'll talk to you guys on Monday.